thankful for him, for his good wife and his sons and now daughter-in-laws. Amen. One of these days, I'll be playing with Brother Phillips' grandbabies. Praise God. <clears throat> it's been a, a real joy to watch his family grow. And uh, honored to get to be with Elder Brother and Sister Phillips and, and these ministering brethren. Pastor, is it Clincy or Quincy? Clincy, good to see you, brother. Glad you're here. Brother Talbert, glad you're here. Amen. And the rest of you, I, I don't know a lot of your names. I do know Sister Sharon. I remember her. Good to see her. Praise God. And I learned Brother Ryan's name this morning and Brother BJ's name this morning. Amen. I'm telling you, I like to not got here this morning. Brother Phillips left me at his house in, in the, to drive that little golf cart of a pickup he's got. Little half a golf cart. I really, I didn't. He told me what kind of Ford it was. I didn't know Ford made such a critter. I really, honestly never heard of one. But he said, "I'll leave the keys here on the bar and and or on that little rail, and you come. I'm gonna go early." And so I uh, got dressed, was ready to come down there, and got the keys and walked out to his pickup. And I put the my jacket in the back seat and put my iPad back there and sat down in the truck and looked at his key fob, and there was no key sticking out of it. I mean, there was a couple of house keys, but I know those aren't going to fit in that ignition. Well, I went back in his house. I thought, maybe there's a key left up there on the rail. I saw him put something down. I went back in his house and looked, and there was no other key. And I know you all had already started your Sunday school lesson. And, and so I called him to try to get help, and as I was looking at that, I saw a little button. Well, I do know about switchblade knives. Looked like a looked like the button on a switchblade, so I pushed that button and poof, a little key shot out the end of it. So I, about the time he answered the phone. So we got here. But that's a little that's a little creepy. That thing don't make no noise for until it's about thirty miles an hour or so. It sounds like a golf cart going down the road. In Oklahoma, we we don't. I've not seen any of those yet. We we put gas in most of our vehicles, and uh, I think that one's got some gas in it too. All right, but but such an honor to be here this evening, and good to see everybody. We love this church. And I'm going to preach tonight from the book of Psalms, read a couple of verses in a couple of different chapters, but they're consecutive chapters. I want to read a verse from Psalm 50 and verse number 5, and then we'll be going to the very next chapter and reading one verse. The psalmist said, Gather my saints together unto me, those that have made a covenant with me, by sacrifice. Those that have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The sacrifice, oh, Psalm 51 and 17, I guess I ought to tell you where I'm at. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O oh God, thou wilt not despise. Now, tonight, my title may not make much sense to you right at first. 
But I want to uh, preach on this subject, the four pillars of New Testament sacrifice. And I want you to imagine if there was an altar up here and there were four columns holding it up. I want to talk to you tonight for a little while about the four pillars of New Testament sacrifice. Pastor Phillips, would you pray for us tonight? Amen, and the Lord bless you, and you can be seated tonight. Now, sacrifice is a concept that God himself introduced very early in Scripture and very early in his interaction with humanity. When Adam and Eve sinned, it was God himself who offered the first sacrifice and established the precedent that sin must be paid for with blood. Genesis 3 and 21 said, Unto Adam and also to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skins and clothe them. I'm glad that God didn't only deal with the penalty of sin by shedding those animals' blood, Brother Ryan, but I'm glad that he also dealt with the shame of sin. And he put some clothes on Adam and Eve. Praise God. Shame is the emotion of sin. And God wanted to deal not only with the eternal penalty, but with the shame that is associated with sin and wrong. And moving on toward Cain and Abel, they obviously learned about offering sacrifices from their father. Because we read just another chapter or two in the book of Genesis where Cain and Abel offered sacrifices. And it is in this story that we learn that Not just any old sacrifice is acceptable to God. I said not just any old sacrifice is acceptable to God. There are boundaries and there are rules regarding sacrifice. You can't just walk up to the altar with your chin up and your shoulders squared back and slam your sacrifice down and tell God, there it is, you can take it or leave it. Amen. There are rules concerning sacrifice. And the Bible said unto Cain and unto his offering, God had not respect. God not only rejected his offering, but he rejected the attitude and the spirit of the one who brought that offering. But Abel's sacrifice was acceptable to God. Hallelujah. Sacrifice from the very beginning has been understood as an integral part of our worship and our interaction with God. But but my title tonight is The Four Pillars of New Testament Sacrifice. And, and while sacrifice played a tremendous part throughout the Old Testament, in all the books of Moses, there were reams and reams of material regarding what kind of animal would be offered 
for this sacrifice. And there were wave offerings and heave offerings and drink offerings and offerings of meal and and sin offerings and, and, and a ram of consecration for an offering and many different kinds of offerings. There were, there were sacrifices where the blood was to be poured out at the base of the altar and there were sacrifices where blood was to be sprinkled and, and there were sacrifices where fire was involved and there were many, many intricate rules regarding sacrifice. But then in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. After he went to Calvary, it's very hard for me to think about anything being a sacrifice. After Jesus Christ set the bar so high. Amen. The perfect sinless Lamb of God offered himself without spot. And it's really, really very difficult for me to consider very much that we would do for God a true sacrifice after the offering of Jesus. You know, I've heard some folks go on and on about what they had to give up for God. And when I listen to some of them talk, it almost sounds like they about halfway regret it. You know, I mean, some people, they go on, they, they could have been a baseball player, or they could have been a Hollywood movie star, or they could have been a country music singer, or they could have been this, or they could have been that, and what all they gave up for God. Do you know what I gave up for God, Elder Phillips? I gave up hangovers. And black eyes and violence and broken relationships and all kind of stuff like that. I, hey, listen, God didn't get no bargain when He got me. I got the better end of that deal. And I'll tell you a little secret you got the better end of the deal too. I don't care what you laid down. Amen. What we got from God compared to what we traded in, <laughs> we made out good on that deal. Yes, we did. Made out like bandits on that deal. But sacrifice figured prominently in worship and it was a cornerstone of man's approach and interaction with God. And the great patriarchs of the Old Testament, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and on we could go, these were all men who were well acquainted with the building of altars and the offering of sacrifice. God gave Moses the law, an elaborate and detailed system where sacrifice was an integral part of it. But then Jesus came and offered himself the ultimate sacrifice, the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. And, and after we consider what Jesus was and what Jesus is and, and what Jesus did for us and what Jesus offered and what he purchased, and when I think about what little I've done and what little I can do, it, it's very hard for me to think about it in terms of being a real sacrifice. Anything I could give him is just my reasonable service. But sacrifice is mostly, not completely, but mostly an Old Testament principle. In fact, there are only four things. Four things, Brother Talbert or Talbert, only four things in God's Bible that I can find that the Scripture specifically refers to as a sacrifice in the New Testament. There are only four things that I can find all the way from Matthew to Revelation that we can do for God, that we can offer to God, 
that the scripture terms a sacrifice. And so I want to talk to you tonight about the four pillars of New Testament sacrifice. Now the very first one, probably not going to be a surprise to anybody. The first pillar of New Testament sacrifice is our praise and our worship. Amen. Everybody said praise and worship. Hebrews 13 and 15 said this, By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. Oh, I'm telling you, my Bible tells me that I ought to praise him according to his excellent greatness. I don't know how you could ever get that done, not in this flesh. We're going to have eternity to try to do that, hallelujah. But oh, with what strength I have, with what energy I have, with what concentration I have, and with what breath I have, I want to offer a sacrifice of praise to God continually. I don't know why he likes to hear me say hallelujah. I don't know why he likes to hear me say thank you, Jesus. I don't know why he likes to hear me sing songs. But can I tell you, and this will apply to a lot of other things if you'll think about it. Who do we think we are to decide what God considers significant? That's his department. God gets to decide what he considers significant. You know, circumcision in the Old Testament was a relatively small thing. But God made some pretty heavy decisions concerning mankind based on about that much skin. It's God who gets to decide what's significant and what's not. I don't know why God likes to see somebody go dancing and shouting with their eyes closed and feet and legs hicking up this way and that way, but I know when old sister Milligan cuts loose at home and starts worshiping God, she hoops like a Comanche and takes off shouting. It brings an anointing into the house and other people start shouting too and there's the pleasure of God that I can feel. I don't know why God likes that, but I know he does. Hallelujah. You know, there are times that it's more of a sacrifice to worship than it is at other times. The sweetest savor of worship sometimes comes from broken hearts, dark places, times of pressure and stress. And though we may be experiencing suffering and sorrow, yet, there's still something in us that just has to praise God. And I've got to believe that God loves that kind of praise. Oh, hallelujah. I remember one time I was preaching revival years ago in a different state than this. And I was preaching that night on praise and worship. And about three quarters of the way through my notes... It started really catching hold and folks started coming out of their pews and shouting and dancing and worshiping God. Elder, I saw a little woman. I didn't know any of those people. I saw a little woman come up and she was lost in the spirit. She was staggering this way and that. Her eyes were closed. Tears were running down her face. She was waving her hands. And, and, and I saw her just worshiping, lost in worship. And over on this side, there were some other people coming up front. And there was a little boy. I think he was about nine years old, nine, ten years old. And I, I just happened to notice him. He went. And his face lit up and he ran across the church to that woman who was lost in worship. Grabbed her and started shaking her. And she, it took her a minute to disengage from the spirit. 
Finally, she bent down and he whispered something in her ear and I just thought she was worshiping. She took off shouting and running and dancing and carrying on, ran about one lap and grabbed the pastor and said something to him and he took off shouting the other direction. I found that after church that just that very week, that little boy had been declared by a doctor permanently deaf in his ear, his one ear. They said there was nothing that they could do for him. He had had a series of ear infections that had taken his hearing from him and that he was irreparably deaf. And that night, while his mother was over here worshiping God out of a heart that had to be heavy, out of a heart that surely must have been broken for her little boy that was going to go through life with one ear that didn't work, Yet she came and worshiped God with abandon. And while she was over here worshiping God, I didn't know that little boy was deaf. Nobody anointed him with oil. Nobody laid their hand on him. But I'm going to tell you what Jesus did. That sacrifice of praise wafted up into the heavens. And he took a deep breath and said, mm, I like what I smell coming from down there. And he reached down a nail scarred hand and opened her little boy's ear. I'm telling you. Oh, your sacrifice of praise and worship is not insignificant, my friend. It's not unimportant and it's not shallow. Hallelujah. God loves it when we praise Him with all of our heart, all of our mind, all of our soul, all of our strength, and all of our might. When Job had been stripped of his finances and his children and everything that he owned and even his health, he dropped down to his knees. And God said, angels, get ready to record these words. It looks like he's going to praise me. And after Job had lost everything that meant anything to him except for his wife, he dropped to his knees. I'm sure the devil was laughing behind his hand. He thought, I've crushed him now. But then he saw his hands go up. He saw him look up to the heavens and God said, here, we're going to record this one forever. We're going to put this one in my book. Naked came, out, came I out of my mother's womb and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed, blessed, blessed be the name of the Lord. I'm going to tell you when you worship him through a time of heartache, through a time of trouble, through a time of sorrow, with a heart that's broken and a spirit that's crushed. That is something God said. I'll accept that as a sacrifice. The second pillar of New Testament sacrifice and I'm not going to get into too much specifics about this. I'll leave your pastor to do that. But I will tell you that the second pillar that I want to preach about tonight is a holiness lifestyle. Romans 12 and 1 says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. That you present your bodies a living sacrifice. Oh, somebody said, all God cares about is the heart. No, no, he cares about the heart, yes. But he also said, present your body a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Let me tell you, Jesus died for us. He wants us to live for him. 
Our life is a sacrifice. I obey him because I love him. I want to read a couple of verses out of Ephesians 3. This is one of my favorite places to preach holiness from. Ephesians 3 and 10. Put that on the screen, please. Paul was writing to the Ephesian church, and you're going to have to let me unravel this a minute. Paul, the, the King James English is a little hard to follow here, but I'll tell you what this means. Paul said, to the intent that now under the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Now, we all understand that, that we wrestle not against flesh and blood but against principalities and powers, against rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So Paul's talking about that. There's principalities and powers in high places and so that they can be known by the church. In other words, so the church can reveal to them that they can know by watching the church the manifold wisdom of God. Go ahead and put the next verse up and then we'll go back according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now put Ephesians 3 and 10 back on the screen. What Paul was saying, it is the privilege of the church to manifest and to reveal the manifold wisdom of God. Not just to this world, elder. Not just to your neighbors and not just to your family and not just to the people you work with. But I'm going to tell you, we've got an audience that we can't see. Because there's principalities and powers. And when they look down at God's church, oh, let me tell you, the devil and that one-third of the angels that followed him that could not stay submitted to God in heaven, surrounded by the Shekinah glory of God when sin had never been invented, but iniquity sprang up in their hearts when they see an apostolic woman come out of her house of a morning and they can tell by the way she has presented herself that she's submitted to God and submitted to her husband. They get the message. They're seeing a facet of God's manifold or God's multifaceted wisdom. Let me ask you this. When the prophet came to David, who's, 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 who's one of your best Bible scholars around here, Brother Phillips? There's so many. Well, just pick me out one. Who do you want me to mess with? Brother Ryan. Brother Ryan, you're up. Your pastor just paid you a high compliment because he knows if I get to messing with you, it could be bad. But let me ask you, you remember there was a guy in the Old Testament, he was a king, and he committed adultery with a woman. Who was that? David. You remember the name of the woman? Bathsheba. Hey, he's batting a thousand so far. And a prophet came to him and pointed his bony finger in his face and he said, you're the man. But you know what? Nobody knew about that so far except for God and Bathsheba and David. And he had to let Joab in on the action because he had Joab send Uriah the Hittite up to the front of the battle and then pull back from him. But in other words, this was not a widely known fact. This word had not got around yet. But do you know what Nathan said to David? He said, you have given great occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. You've given great occasion of the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. I wonder who was blaspheming and mocking. Principalities and powers. 
that were watching everything David did. Oh, they were laughing. Oh, God, have you seen what your guy's doing? You know the man that's going to be the, the uh, his bloodline is going to produce the, you, what's that Messiah you're talking about? Oh, look what he's doing. He's an adulterer and now he's a murderer. Ha, 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 Let me tell you, it matters what you do. It matters how you live. It matters how you conduct yourself. It matters how you walk and talk and dress yourself and act in public. Hallelujah. I want you to know it don't matter what a billy goat does and it don't matter what a tomcat does, but it matters what you do. Because you're a child of God and the scripture said, let everyone that even nameth the name of Christ depart from iniquity. And one of the things that God said, I'll accept it as a sweet smelling sacrifice is a life of holiness and consecration. You may not realize it, church, but you have an audience. Not only are we observed and cheered on by that great cloud of witnesses, hallelujah, And the older I get, the more faces that are dear to me are in that cloud. Saints of God, family members that have gone on to glory, but oh, I'm going to tell you, you are watched by a spirit world that's waiting for you to trip up, that's waiting for you to fail God so they can mock and scoff and laugh. But I'm going to tell you that when you live out the teachings of God's holy book and receive the blessings that are the inevitable consequences of obedience, you are revealing God's manifold, multifaceted wisdom to this world. There are so, the, the, the wisdom of God is like a diamond with innumerable planes and surfaces that reflect the light in so many different ways. When you order your home after the teachings of God's word, and, and, and the peace and the orderliness and the love that comes from that and the fruitfulness that comes forth from that, you're manifesting an aspect, a facet of God's manifold wisdom. When you, when you conduct your finances the way God's book says to do, and you're blessed in turn, you're manifesting and revealing another facet an aspect of God's manifold wisdom. When you forgive those who do you wrong and you, and you go ahead and become a peacemaker and you manifest the spirit of Christ, you are manifesting another facet of God's manifold wisdom. When you structure your priorities around worship and, and arrange your lifestyle and choices and walk and talk according to God's book, you are manifesting God's manifold wisdom. After what the Lord has done for me, nothing he can ask of me is too much. He has promised me eternal life. There's no accountant that can calculate. Nate, you, I have every confidence you're going to be a good accountant. And you may have the best software available on the face of the earth some of these days, but you'll never be able to calculate the gift, the value of eternal life. And in the light of that, nothing he can ask of us is too much. Nothing. The third pillar of New Testament sacrifice, Philippians 4 and 18. Put that on the screen, please. There we go. Paul said, but I have all in a bound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus 
the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Epaphroditus had delivered an offering to Paul and the saints there. And Paul said, that's a sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. I want to tell you tonight, now tithing is not considered a sacrifice. That's God's anyway. Sacrifice doesn't kick in until you start giving an offering on top of your tithe. When I give my tenth, that's the first fruits back to God. I'm technically, I'm not giving him anything. I'm just returning to him something that he has entrusted to me. And let me just throw this in for good measure. At the root, I've pastored now for, well, let's see, long time, 20-odd years. And you know what I've found? I'm not talking about people who just don't know or who have never been taught, but people who have been taught and have just decided for whatever reason to reject the idea of tithing. Usually it's a heart issue and it's a submission issue at the root. Let's all notice how quiet it becomes in the house of God. I said it's a submission issue usually. Tithing is about acknowledging the lordship of Jesus in your life. And if you chafe at the leadership of God's constituted authority, who is your pastor there, you're really chafing at God's authority. Giving starts with my offering. But Paul let us know that giving financially is one of the four things that God considers a sacrifice that he is pleased to receive. You know, that places in a pretty exclusive category. If there's only four things that, that God's word terms a sacrifice that we can do in the New Testament that he'll accept, I'd say they're pretty important, wouldn't you? <clears throat> now, I was raised very poor, very poor. We got our water. We had a, we had a black pipe that run down in the creek, and I just on top of the ground and run off in the creek, and we had a filter. We had a very high-tech filter on our water pipe. We had taken the screen out of an old rusty window and Balaam wired it around the end of our pipe. That kept the bigger chunks from getting in the water. That's one reason why I've got such a fierce immune system today because the cows and everything else were in the creek and we drank out of it. I've, I've eaten lots of squirrel and rabbits and coons and meadowlarks and blackbirds even and quail and deer. We... We, anyway, I could go on and on about it. Groundhogs, we really like groundhogs. They had quite a bit of meat on them. But uh, I like them a little better even than, you know, possum. They're quite a bit. They're a little more tasty than a possum. Possums are better if you, keep, you put them up for a couple of weeks and feed them corn because they eat dead stuff. You know, you've got to get them clean. Put them in, catch them alive and shake them out and put them in a toe sack and build a pen and put them in there and feed them corn for a couple of weeks and then they're all right to eat. But anyway, we, we were just pretty poor. But now my wife, her parents had a business in Tulsa. And they weren't millionaires, but they were well-to-do, and she never wanted for anything. I mean, it was never, money was never really a problem. It was always a problem at my house. Always a problem at my house. Every time we went to town, I knew that we were spending money that my mother did not want to spend and really had to spend. And so I grew up with that penny-pinching attitude 
and uh, God was good to me, and I, I pay my tithe because I, I, I was convinced I needed to do that. But boy, I was pretty chintzy on the offering. But my wife, we got married. Hey, that woman gives. I mean, she's a cheerful giver. And I wasn't cheerful about her giving. I mean, we, it, it caused problems in our marriage because I didn't like how much money she'd put in. She said, oh, God will bless us. And I said, well, with what? And uh, anyway, I, I, God worked me over about that for a few years. But, but I remember um, we had our first baby. He was about four months old. And he, he got very, very sick. Colton, he's preached here. My, old, my oldest boy, he got very, very sick, Brother Phillips. I'm talking about very sick. He got his stomach. He got something wrong with his stomach. And uh, his mother had been unable to nurse him. And, and, and he, we were trying to feed him formula. And he got to where he was. He got very dehydrated. He was in the hospital for several days. We didn't have insurance. We didn't have much money. They were, they were, it, they were, recommending that we buy this expensive formula and that's been 27 years ago sister and some of it was $50 for a little can of powder that real hypoallergenic baby formula and, and he couldn't keep it on his stomach we were feeding him Pedialyte trying to keep him hydrated and we'd, we'd give him a, a bottle full of that pink bubblegum flavored Pedialyte and before he could finish the bottle his little diaper would be full of pink Pedialyte it would go through him that fast. They finally sent him home. They, they said, we don't know what we can do for him. I just thought he was going to die, and I think they thought he was too. And on the way home from the hospital, we wanted to stop and see my brother-in-law and sister-in-law. My, uh, my wife's sister had married my old coon hunting buddy that uh, me and him hunted together all our lives. and He had three siblings that married double first cousins of mine and I didn't have have any more cousins for him to marry so he just married my wife's sister you know we kept it we hate to go out of the holler and run a good bloodline <laughs> but we went we went and stopped by Frank and Deidre's house well that baby was crying Colton was crying he was still dehydrated you could push your finger against his little skin and it you know it wouldn't come back out he was just so dehydrated and he was so sick we were afraid we were going to lose him and well, they had an old nanny goat running around loose in the yard, and she had just freshened lately. She had two little kids following her around. And I just, something just kind of quickened in my mind. I said, somebody catch old Sadie, and let's milk that baby out of a bottle of goat's milk. And we caught old Sadie, and I milked him out of a bottle of milk, and he kept it on his stomach. And so we raised that baby on goat's milk until he, he was a year old and could finally start drinking regular milk. Cured him. But I didn't have a good place to keep a goat. You know, you've got to have a pretty good fence to keep a goat. So I found a, a place, a grocery store in town that would order me canned goat's milk. I can still remember the brand name, Mayenberg Goat's Milk. That was the stinkingest stuff. And if you, It stunk when it went down the first time, and when he belched it back up, it really, really stunk. But he, but he drank it, and it, it, it cured his stomach, and he was able to keep it down. Well, right about during this time, and it was expensive, and my, I was working all the time, but my wife had, had to quit her job and take care of the baby, and we were having it pretty tough, and with all the bills, the doctor bills, and trying to catch up on all this goat's milk and everything, I remember one time I knew we were pretty far, 
pretty far gone financially. And I said, honey, I said, how much money have we got left? And she balanced our checkbook, and she said, we got $30 left. And I don't mean in the savings account. I mean, we had $30 left. That's turning the couch upside down and getting the change shook out of it and stuff like that. So you know what I'm talking about. And wouldn't you know it, it was still about two weeks before I was going to get paid again. And wouldn't you know it, God spoke to her. Well, the only thing that woman could ever hear from God about, God couldn't ever tell her to treat her husband better. Or she couldn't hear it if he did. The only thing she could ever hear from God is give X amount of dollars to so-and-so. That's the only thing. I mean, she hear from God about that, nothing else. There's a lot of things I was wanting God to tell her, and he didn't do it. Or she didn't admit it. She said, I got up one morning, I'm getting ready for work, and she said, oh, by the way, God spoke to me. We need, and she named a couple in the church. She said, we need to have brothers and so-and-so over here tonight and cook for them, and um, we need to give them an offering. And we had $60. I apologize, it was 60 After After this night, we only had 30 left. We had $60. Well, this guy that she was wanting to have him and his wife come over, I mean, I love him. Still, we're friends to this day. But that sucker could eat. I mean, a, a whole chicken wasn't nothing for him. He, he could eat, a, and she cooks good fried chicken. Well, I mean, what do you say? God told her. I can't argue with God. If you got any sense, you won't argue with God. But I said, whatever. So that night, she cooked a big chicken supper, and he he ate until I, I was just—I was just sick watching him. I love him. And I'm glad he was enjoying it. But I was seeing my last chicken go out the door. And when and when and when we they got ready to go, she got out the checkbook and wrote him a thirty-dollar check for an offering, half of our money that we had. And they cried. Well, they were way better off than we were. But God told her. So what do you do? God's telling her this. I got up the next morning, Brother Clancy. I, of course, I like to pray early in the mornings. I got up in my prayer time the next morning. It was mostly fussing, you know. Got everything ready and got ready to go to work. And, and we were, oh, and on, on top of this, we were out of goat's milk and out of diapers. Out of goat's milk and out of diapers. And I was going to have to find some way. I, I, I didn't tell a soul. Nobody knew where we were at. I got ready to go to work, and I tried to open the door, and it, the door wouldn't open. Brother Phillips, you know what I thought? I thought that sucker probably had so much chicken grease on his hands, he broke my doorknob. I was, so I, well, I figured out there was a reason I couldn't open the door. Something was in front of the door. So I pushed the door open a crack, and I stuck my head out and looked around. Brother Ryan, there was a big case. A case of cans of goat's milk. And a great big box of diapers sitting on top of it. I hadn't told a soul that we were out of goat's milk and out of diapers. But my little old sweet Aunt Bernice had been praying the day before. And the Holy Ghost had spoken to her and said, Go by and pick up a, a case of milk and a case of diapers and leave them on the front porch. I 
I was feeling a little better then. At least Colton was going to eat. I may be going to be fasting for the next two weeks, but at least my baby's going to eat. Elder, when I got home that night from work, my wife was smiling. She was dusting and feeling good around the house. And I, I said, well, how are you? She said, oh, I'm, I'm fine. She said, we got some mail today. And, of course, my first thought, well, I wonder what bill we got today. She had given our, our, you know, half of our entirety of our, save, of our money, $30 out of 60 There was an envelope laying over there on my coffee table, and I picked it up, and it was from the insurance company. Unbeknownst to us, we'd been overpaying on our insurance, and there was a $300 check. A $300 check exactly 10 times the amount that God had spoken to her to give. The night before, hey, I'm going to tell you, not only is it one of the things that God accepts as a sacrifice, there is a blessing coming when you obey God and give. I said there is a blessing coming when you obey God and give. We often say it, but it's because it's true. You cannot outgive God. Hallelujah. Oh, I think somebody ought to worship. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Well, this brings us to our final pillar. One more. Philippians 2 and 17. Paul said, Yea, and if... I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith. I joy and rejoice with you all. The fourth pillar of New Testament sacrifice is the life of a man of God as he gives himself for his people. You know, there are basically three reasons why we go through trials, all of us. Maybe because we've left a door open for the devil to attack us through our disobedience and we're just reaping what we've sown. Sometimes it's just because time and chance happens to everybody. And then sometimes God allows a trial to come because it is to help build our character increase our faith or teach us some lesson that we need to learn. And all of us are subject to trials that come for those three reasons. But there's a fourth reason why a man of God sometimes and his family go through things. There are times your pastor will go through things not because he's left a door open for the devil. Maybe it's not just time and chance and it may not be because God sees his character needs to be adjusted or his faith needs to be built. But there is a reason why God allows men of God to walk through things. 1 Corinthians 4 and 9, put it on the screen. Paul said, for I think that God hath set forth us, the apostles, last 
as it were, appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle. Everybody said spectacle. You know what that word spectacle is in Greek? It is the Greek word theatron. It's for Greek theater. In college, in the humanities class, they taught me that in Greek theater, that it was not only for entertainment, but the Greeks considered it religious instruction also. That principles of their religion were acted out in the plays that were written by their great playwrights. And Paul used the word theater. He said, we're made a theater unto the world and unto angels and to men. Pastor, there are times that a trial will visit you, not necessarily because you've left the door open, not because God's trying to do it for you to build your faith or character, and nor is it just time and chance, but there are times that God says, you know what? There are certain principles in my word that my church needs to see played out in flesh and blood in real time. And I'm going to trust you to exhibit grace under pressure and a right spirit when you're done wrong and a righteous attitude when you're attacked. You don't need it. You didn't sow it. It's not just time and chance. But do you know who it's for? It's for you. Because there are times that God needs his people to see the principles in his word acted out in flesh and blood in real time. And Paul said, if I be offered, I be offered. You know why there's a solemn spirit in this place right now? For one thing, this is a witness of the Holy Ghost right now. That these men of God know what I'm talking about. Elder, there's things, your, your memories are going through your mind right now. You're remembering times that God has called on you to exhibit his principles in front of the church. And it hurt. But that's what we're called to do, Brother Tauber. That's part of the calling. Paul said, if I be offered the life of your leadership is a sacrifice that God said, I'll validate that as a sacrifice. I'll put that in my word. Praise and worship, a lifestyle of holiness, giving, and the sacrificial servanthood of a man of God. Those are the four things in the New Testament 
that you can find in God's Bible that he legitimized as a sacrifice after Calvary. Let's all stand. Oh, somebody ought to be praying right now. Oh, come on, saints. We ought to be praying, hadn't we? Oh, we ought to be calling on the name of the Lord. God, I want to offer a sacrifice that is pleasing unto you. I want to praise you. I want to live a lifestyle of consecration and holiness. I want to be a giver. And I want to appreciate what the man of God does for my benefit and for my instruction. Brother Phillips, sometimes you just got to tread out the grapes in the wine press alone. Nobody can help you. But that's that's an offering that's a sacrifice let's lift our hands